This is Happiness, a Skeptic's Guide. In the penultimate episode of the season, we look at learned optimism and automatic negative thoughts. Do remember to like, subscribe, follow, rate and review. Hello and welcome to episode 26, no less, of Happiness, a Skeptic's Guide with myself, Paul Flower and Dr. Gary Wood. In today's episode, we are looking at happiness and learned optimism, which follows on from the last episode uh, when we were discussing a little bit about negative thought and we thought we would try and be a bit more positive in this one. Oh, I should hope so as well. It's about time. Long overdue. <laughs> you remember the last one? You, you did the, we did the PERMA questionnaire. Indeed. You came out uh, slightly higher than average on negative emotions and thoughts. To no one's great surprise. Uh, with the average being anything between... About 90%. Yes. Well, a- average really being good. anything between, you know, like 25 <laughs> and 50, and then you got 96. Yeah. So I thought it'd be useful to have a little think about negative emotions what we call automatic negative thoughts. And it's quite an annoying acronym because they're referred to as ANTS. Ah, I've never even heard of those. Automatic negative thoughts. And okay. So that, and that's part of uh, CBT. So dear uh, Aaron Tim Beck, who also passed away recently, dropping like flies. Dropping like ants. Dropping like ants, yes. It will have, this is an <laughs> insect episode. <laughs> <laughs> what we uh, what we can do is just have a, a brief look at some of the kind of things that characterize these automatic negative thoughts. And then we'll jump in to learned optimism, which is something that Martin Seligman is really well known for. So Martin Seligman being one of the pioneers of positive psychology. So the automatic na- can't get me words out (laughs) automatic negative thoughts obviously not automatically engaged jaw Uh, there's kind of all or nothing thinking so there's when there's no no middle ground so you know you you've passed or you failed so if something happens oh it's all ruined that kind of all or negative and then there's catastrophizing that characterize these thoughts you take this little tiny thing and then it's just it's ruined everything again Hmm. then there's mind reading that you assume people know what's going on in your head oh yeah i do this a lot yeah there's another word for it and it's kind of unconscious contracts and we see that if we open a door for someone there's the unconscious contract that they should say thank you Hmm. whereas you know most people just breeze through thinking they're royalty and then you usually shout after them and go, don't say thank you then. Uh, you, you know. Normally it's a sarcastic, well, thank you. Yes, yeah, so it's kind but, of a uh, really... They elicit from yes, me. a really passive-aggressive thing, which ultimately you haven't actually entered into a contract with that person. It's assumed that this is, you know, some people have got no manners, let's be honest, <laughs> uh, and it's just assumed that this doesn't matter. And manners is a, is, is a real, for some people, me included, is a social glue. Hmm. So if we, you know, we're all courteous, we all say please and thank you, we all open the door for each other, it makes the world a little bit better. It gives people that little uplift that we've talked about before. Yeah, it harkens back to the gratitude thing as well, yes. doesn't it? You know, at least if somebody's done something nice to you by holding the door for you, the least that you can do is thank them for doing it. Yes, but some people, it's not on their, or they're probably in their own head or they're thinking about something else yeah. or, or they've got the face stuck to the phone. <laughs> Another thing is labelling. So if people do horrible things, 
we often label them as horrible people. Mm. And it might be a situational thing. They might be lovely people. So you might having a bad day. Yes, you might meet the most spiritually enlightened, beautiful person on the day they've got hemorrhoids or a veruca. And then <laughs> That'd be just my life. It would, yes. <laughs> I've met I met the Buddha and he got a veruca. Uh, so but you know, it just could be that one day. But we then we often impute character traits. So we've got good people or bad people. And it can influence your, th- your thoughts, can't it? It can really influence yeah. your thoughts about that person in future. And that's a terrible thing. <laughs> you, you may have just encountered them on a bad day, but you are then prejudiced against them forever because of, of one thing that they did. Well, this goes back to when we did something on schemata and scripts. We can't process every bit of information, so we do this rounding up kind of script-based stereotype cognitive economy approach, which means that we don't have to process. So it's easier to think of someone as a difficult person than someone having a difficult day. Yeah. Jump into conclusions. Well, I think we've covered that. So you go a little bit beyond the evidence. So something's happened and then you can infer a whole chain of events. And you see this with conspiracy theories a lot. People take a little bit of evidence and they run with it as though it's they've mined some kind of train of thought that no one else ever has thought of. Yeah. Emotional reasoning as well. is So it, it's when you think that your emotional reaction to something is actually a fact rather than an emotional reaction. Okay. So is there always a way to overcome external um, inputs in this sense then? Because, you you know, we can all be having a bad day and some of those reasons that we're having a bad day could be due to somebody else being a complete or whatever, you know, and certainly if that's your boss or your partner, then then that's going to have an influence on the, the kind of day that you have. You can't always kind of react to their bad day with sweetness and light, can you? No, you can't. Probably, I mean, I've mentioned it quite a lot because I've been quite interested in Buddhist psychology. But it's something that my friend, not my personal friend, obviously, uh, the Dalai Lama does. And he's, I think it's <laughs> really mate. interesting. Yeah, Mark, oh, yeah. We, Me and we the were Dalai down, we, down the pub at the weekend. We, yes, we were down the cock and trumpet last night for half a shandy, me and the Dalai. Uh, d- didn't want a pork scratching, I hasten to add. No. Anyway, uh, the Dalai Lama approaches people, every person, including a stranger, as if they were a mother in a previous lifetime. Hmm. So it's the idea that this person has been kind to you in a previous lifetime, the essence of this person, because in Buddhism there is such a thing as reincarnation. But it's quite a nice thought. It's a proactive thing as well. So you don't wait to react to something. You've already thought about a strategy by which if somebody's horrible to you or you've still got that thing of excusing the fact that they were a very kind person and this is a one-off thing. So it's a sort of invented backstory that you're giving to people that you don't know. Yes. I mean, the other one is that we're all going through life trying to make the best of it and we're all getting good breaks and we're all getting bad breaks and we all have good days and we all have bad days. And that's probably the narrative rather than the world is full of these people who are trying to do us down. Because if you believe the latter one, you probably wouldn't go out very much. No. It's, I suppose what it is, it's assumptions about human nature, which is probably a whole new episode. Indeed, that would be a good episode. So what we're talking about then is the way to deal with these automatic negative thoughts is to make a note of them when they happen and then review them. And to ask yourself, you know, all am I using black and white thinking? Am I trying to mind read? Am I labeling? Am I jumping to conclusions? Is this an emotion or is this a fact? Hmm. 
And what we're dealing with throughout is this intuitive level of knowledge versus an experimental version of knowledge. The intuitive one can sometimes get confused in that we actually say, ah, oh, this wouldn't be good for me. Oh, I can't see this working. Uh, whereas that is actually intuitive rather than let's test it out. So the way I've been going throughout this is that, you know, if you're not sure, test it out. Yeah. So that's uh, in a nutshell what CBT does. It challenges these automatic negative thoughts. And are the automatic negative thoughts sometimes a kind of uh, what we would call self-talk as well? It's the, yes, you know, yeah. it's the voice that you're hearing in your head. Yeah. So with self-talk, we say, okay, what's the evidence to support this thought, this or this self-talk? What's the evidence to contradict it? What are the exceptions? So you might say, I'm useless, and you've made one mistake. Hmm. So what you're talking about is one mistake, not a total pattern. What are the mitigating circumstances? It's different. But I am entitled, I guess, to say I am useless at DIY because, you know, I have lived to this age and know that I am useless at DIY, having tested myself doing yes. DIY. Well, you, I mean, well, you could say, I, you could actually say, up until now, my experience of DIY has not been favourable rather than I'm useless. <laughs> uh, uh, up until now, I have not been able to tap into my hidden DIY skills if they exist. So there's still there an element for, that you could possibly improve or you might find, you know, not everybody can be good at DIY. I mean, I can do a few things, but I wouldn't consider myself to be a DIYer. Certainly, um, if you hung that painting in the background, then... Um Yes, I would say you may need uh, well, help. It, there is also such a thing, I don't know whether you, this has got <laughs> got through to you, but there's also such a thing as, you know, perspective and camera yeah. angles. <laughs> uh, I, I know we've I know we've tackled I know we've been tackling microphones and audio quality, but yeah, you know, we really are. Yes, yeah. So we're not going to go down the camera route yet. So it's how do things look from another perspective, and how might this third person offer some advice for at the, these negative I think thoughts? It, this is difficult in a sense because obviously we're talking about cognitive shortcuts, and a lot of the time you're faced with these things in in real life circumstances. So you know if somebody is a, a little bit painful to deal with then you're dealing with that in, in the here and now rather than trying to you know summon up your energies and, and sort of give him you know the benefit or her the benefit of the doubt or them so it you know it is it's difficult to kind of stop yourself and start again and a lot of a lot of what we talk about is trying to reprogram yourself to do some of this stuff isn't it well that's where the old-fashioned thing you know count to 10 take a deep breath and count to 10 comes in because the deep breath will short circuit the stress response and the counting to 10 will give us some cognitive distance some space Good so it, it's common sense advice and this is one example where common sense and psychological evidence do overlap okay is that simple thing is you're right we're dealing with a complex world and we take shortcuts and sometimes those shortcuts cause us to make well logical distortions or cognitive errors and if we could just give ourselves a split second just to recalibrate just to give you an example i don't know left from right still and i took past my i took my driving test and i said to the examiner he says is there any, any questions you've got beforehand i went yes i said i don't know left from right on on verbal instructions so you need to give me one second more if you're going to a verbal instruction I said, if you point i'm fine so i just need that extra second to realize that what i automatically do is i reverse left and right uh, and everybody says can't you put an l on your wellingtons yeah yeah <laughs> 
So you know, it's it, it's it doesn't work. So I ought to, I you know, I, I suspect that I was left-handed as a child and was forced to be right-handed. That's interesting. I always used to know left by the fact that my watch was on my left hand, but now I've started wearing a fitness device on my right hand. They sort of balance each yeah. other out. So now I can't automatically think left and right because both arms have got something on them. I have been so far as to draw with an indelible pen L and R on my hand, and it still doesn't wow. work. So my brain is, not surprisingly, it's it's wired the opposite way it should probably. Uh, it's why I, I <laughs> it can't... It doesn't surprise anybody, I don't think, I listening to, to play, this podcast. I learned to play chess at school, and I cannot read a board. So somebody says, can you plan a move ahead? I go, no. It's just a series of moves to me. If I watch a football game, so you say, oh, isn't that a beautiful, this pass? And I go, no. Uh, could you... Uh, and, <laughs> When I played sport, and did you not see him signal to you? You played sport. Well, when you forced him at school, you were gunpoint most of the time. Yeah, the schools we went to, definitely. Well, definitely the schools we went to, and you voided the showers as well with the schools I went to. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's a little bit on that. Where this is leading, you're pleased to know, we, we, talk, we talk about glass half full and glass half empty, optimists and pessimists. And that's a story. We, we've got this symbol, symbol, you know, we've got a half full glass is a, pessimist oh an optimist half empty glass is the pessimist isn't he or is he yeah i don't know which way yes it is yeah that is the way that it is however i'm going to really annoy you now because i consider myself a realist and i can see that the glass is both half empty and half full you okay then (laughs) (laughs) but if we take the evidence if we take the evidence to suggest we found from the perma experiments the the questionnaire which suggests there is a bias in your ratings towards negative thinking we should probably go on the evidence you probably do veer more towards pessimism and you might correct yourself to realism yeah i I think we've established that most people have a negativity bias don't they yeah well it's it's when we're stressed, it makes sense, doesn't it? We go into survival mode, so we look more for threats. So it it does make sense to be more aware of threats than it does of people waving to you in the street and smiling and open doors for you. So indeed. Anyway, Martin Seligman did this whole thing. It was some really awful experiments on animals. At first of all, basically creating learned helplessness in dogs. You know, you just basically cause them to lose the will to live. And then, so positive psychology has got a really dark side, how it started. Anyway, he decided then he's going to start experimenting on humans and then see how do we create optimism. Obviously, he's not going to do exactly the same as dogs. He argues that there's a, what we've got, instead of personality traits, we've got an explanatory style. So people tell a story in a particular way with three different factors. And those are... Uh, I, well, I'll describe the pessimist. The pessimist in their mind, so if something bad happens, they're going to take it personally, they make it permanent, and they make it pervasive. So that bad thing then affects everything else. It's never going to end, and it's all about me. Okay. Now, the optimists are going to do the opposite. It's not necessarily personal. Um, there are mitigating factors. It's probably temporary, and it probably just affects one thing rather than a number of things. I'd say that Martin Seligman's book, Learned Optimism, was probably the probably one of the most important books I've read in in me because I've got a history of I'd say reactive depression, and I think this has helped more than any other book. Reading this, it's quite a dense tome, 
But it's these practical things you can say, you know, you, feel, you can feel sorry for yourself. You can sit back. I can feel miserable. I can feel down. And then I can actually do this reflection based on these three things. And it does not necessarily make you full of the joys of spring, but it will offer in a little chink of light, which kind of you can work with. So Seligman's book would be a good reference point for most people listening. Yes, it, it is a, it's a very good book. It's, it doesn't come across totally as a self-help book. It's a little bit more dense. You have to sit through the, uh, the evidence-based chapters, first of all. But when you get down to the practical, explanatory chapters, you know, that, how to use these things. So, for instance, then, if you're up for an award and you don't get it, you could say, I'm hopeless and it's all down to me. You know, it's all about me. I'm hopeless. Uh, but if you got the award, you would say it was a fluke. Okay. So either way you look at it, you'd be looking at it from a negative standpoint. Yeah. So if if a negative thing happens you would take responsibility for it. So you make it personal. If a positive thing happens, you make it a fluke. Mm. And sometimes when we've got a bit of a downer on ourselves, because we talked about these cognitive shortcuts, we've got a script of ourselves as well. And we look for evidence to, to support that script. And especially when we're feeling a bit vulnerable or you know emotional, we, it's easier to accept this is evidence that I'm hopeless rather than, you know, this, this couldn't be helped. Or if something good happens, or this was a fluke, you know, I'm not usually that good. Mm. So it's taking the negatives personally, accepting those, but writing off the the positives. And that that's a road in itself to real depression, isn't it? In a sense, that, yeah. that you know that that in itself is you know if you're talking yourself down all the time, then how can you ever expect to be up? Well, it's a cognitive distortion, isn't it? It's the black and white thinking. And it's going beyond the evidence. So a little, you know, you, you spill a little bit of something on your genes or something. Oh, I'm a hopeless, useless person. Uh, and you're thinking, well, yeah, you've just stained your genes. You can go and get another pair. Uh, the chances are you probably won't stain that pair. <laughs> so there's also things like, say, say if you did a report and there's a few errors in it. And usually you're quite good. You could say, I'm all washed up. That's it. You know, I, I'm, I'm useless. I'm hopeless. You know, I've my faculties are failing me, rather than I was tired or I'm working too many hours. So I've talked a lot about, you know, when we start feeling stressed, we think the idea is to throw in lots of hours rather than to throw in lots of breaks. Mm. Uh, if we throw in lots of breaks, we can keep our attention span boost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So imagine you, you know, you one day you secured a, you know, a new lucrative client. So you've got two options. You could say, I got lucky. It was a fluke. Or you can say, I'm good at securing lucrative clients. I, you know, I worked hard at it. I put the time in. So that you can see as you go through these, it's easy to jump to one conclusion. Mm, okay. And the, the easiest option is usually the pessimistic one because it's connected with the stress response. Mm. The more difficult one is the taking the deep breath and stepping back and counting to 10 and actually thinking about things and collecting the evidence and that's the more optimistic one. So it's not that we've got to be, you know, put our rose speckled glasses on and see everything wonderful and start, you know, wearing little pigtails and skipping around in gingham and baking scones and saying, oh, isn't the world lovely? Not again. No, not again. Well, I mean, you know, I, I can't, you know, Sunday afternoons, that's mine. I can't do it every day of the week. So that's kind of in a nutshell. I mean, I, I really okay. glossed through it. But there's a, there's a, Seligman's got this quite interesting idea of a formula for hopefulness. And if we Which can. Which would be a fabulous way to end this week's podcast. So it would. Give so us it, that. looking for things, when things happen, to, to look more for the temporariness rather than the permanence and look at them as being more confined to one, 
this is for negative outcomes. So you look at these, you know, the negative outcomes are probably just temporary and they're probably confined to one aspect of life. So we're looking at the... Okay, but does that, does that in a sense make you look at the negative outcomes as temporary and kind of have factors attached to them, but all the, all the lovely positive outcomes are, are great and that's who I am? Is that not a road to... It's not dangerous well, behavior. Again, it's it's looking at the evidence that we've said there's a negativity bias, and the negativity bias isn't necessarily based on evidence. So if we can balance the positives using evidence, mm-hmm. uh, and that the chances are that these things aren't permanent, and that the chances are these things won't infect every aspect of your life. Yeah, and we're meant to be able to learn from mistakes, are we not? So yes, yes, you know, of course. It, it could be that you know that's what we should be thinking about. That this isn't permanent. And, it, you know, there are other aspects, other factors influencing it. And, you know, even if it is, I can learn from it. And that fits in with the uh, Seligman's idea of hopefulness for positive outcomes. And this is the heart of coaching, is we look for explanations that this could be enduring. So we look for those green shoots. We look for things we're doing well, and we can build on those. And we can let them spill over into other areas of life. So I often tell coaching clients, they say, where do I start? And the answer is, it doesn't matter. If you start on one thing, it doesn't matter if it's not the main thing. Start on something, do something small, and then review the evidence. And that's it. Okay. So the idea of the final thing, the idea of going back to the automatic negative thoughts is a way to neutralize the language. So you mentioned DIY. You know, nobody ever got better by being told they were rubbish and crap and a useless person. You know, it's the Gordon Ramsay approach to life. I much more favor the Mary Berry approach to life or the Michelle Rue. Yeah, you'd be the encouraging teacher rather than the dismissive one. Yeah. And that's us going back to our schools again. Yes. So instead of saying, like I said to you, up until now, DIY hasn't been a strength. And it's still a little bit of a, a cognitive twist. Yeah. I think the, the, the outcome of this, though, is that, you know, sometimes you've got to get a man in. Oh, speaking my language, daughter. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, set me up for that one. So I'm afraid I did. So the idea is, we, with, with these automatic negative thoughts and with these putting ourselves down, it's to make a list of them and then review the evidence for them. So going back to Martin Seligman, then, it's with anything, with the automatic negative thoughts, review your evidence. So... Are you making it too personal? Are there mitigating factors? Is it permanent or is it just temporary? Is it pervasive or does it just affect one aspect of your life? You're collecting the evidence for this rather than going up, going along with the emotion. And that would yeah, be it. Rather than, rather than taking on face value and, and that's ruined everything. Yeah. Crush the ants. That's what I say. Crush the ants. Yeah. Oh, sounds if a bit... you take, any, take anything from this, crush the ants. Or just, or just coax them gently out of the door with a trail of sugar. <laughs> Something like that. Not boiling water, that's for sure. Oh, no. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Happiness and Learned Optimism. And we hope you will be more optimistic about listening to future episodes and telling your friends about them. I didn't do the subscribe, review, whatever. Do it there then. Uh, Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. We really would appreciate it. Beautiful. (laughs) That was and is Happiness, a Skeptic's Guide with Paul Flower and me, Gary Wood. In this episode, we looked at learned optimism and automatic negative thoughts. And in the season finale, 
we attempt to tie together the loose ends. If you like the podcast, do remember to like, subscribe, follow, rate and review. And if you've really enjoyed it, you can support the show at buymeacoffee.com forward slash skepticsguide.